This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County welcoming you to the February 2021 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, our monthly interview show the second Monday of each month on WPKN 89.5 FM, bringing you news and information about the arts and culture across coastal Fairfield County. This month, our topic is moving beyond Black History Month. I don't know whether you know, but Black History Month was built on Negro History Week, celebrated mostly in colleges since 1926, over the second week of February, honoring the birthdays of Lincoln, February the 12th, and Frederick Douglass, February the 14th. Black History Month was first proposed by students at Kent State University in 1969 and was taken up by President Gerald Ford in bicentennial year 1976, when he encouraged all Americans to quote, seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. Well, since then, Black History Month has grown and expanded and in fact was described last year in the Wall Street Journal as, quote, a time when the culture and contributions of African-Americans take center stage in a variety of cultural institutions, including theaters, libraries, and museums. Today, we welcome members for, from a variety of our local cultural institutions to find out how they are celebrating Black History Month what it means to them, and how, especially after the year in which Black Lives Matter took center stage here and abroad, how it can be a time that we can use to examine more deeply the hidden and not so hidden racism in our society, our institutions, and ourselves. And how in celebrating this month of Black history and culture, we also need to move beyond it to recognize the diversity of American culture as meaningful as, as we can across all 12 months of the year. So today I want to welcome two history museums from the Norwalk Historical Society, the executive director, Diane Jellaret, and from the Westport Museum for History and Culture, Ramin Ganeshram, welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you. From the Westport Country Playhouse, General Manager Beth Husking and Jenny Nelson, Director of Education and Community Engagement. Welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Working with the Playhouse on several projects, Bernestine McLeod Bailey, representing Team Westport. Welcome, Bernestine. Thank you, David. From Fairfield University, we have Laurie Jones, Director of Programming and Audience Development with the Quick Center for the Arts, and Carrie Weber, Executive Director of the Fairfield University Art Museum. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much. And from Bridgeport, the Downtown Special Services District, President and CEO, Lauren Coakley-Vincent, and her marketing partner, Marcella Kovac with the Banana Land marketing agency. Welcome to you. Thank Thanks you so much. Happy to be here. 
So welcome to you all. And uh, first, I think I'd like to start with the historical societies, as that's perhaps most apt, Diane and Ramin. I think I'll ask you all the same opening questions. Uh, what does Black History Month mean to you? And what are you programming to celebrate it? Let's start with Diane at the Norwalk Historical Society. Diane? Okay, thank you. Um, Black History Month is a celebration of every single person who is part of the African diaspora. Um, it represents our struggles, our resilience, and our triumphs. Um, it shows that we are all connected uh, and all share the same problems uh, that we can all work together and find solutions. Um, despite the changes in race relations since uh, 1926 when uh, it was Negro Week, uh, Black history is still quite relevant and quite useful um, to have the African American History Month um, so that we can remember. It's a beacon of change and hope that is still needed in this world. Um, so understanding the African American past reminds us not just how far we have traveled, but also how far we have to go. And for the Norwalk Historical Society, uh, we're offering on February 18th at 5.30 p.m. a virtual lecture. We're having two guest speakers, uh, Dennis Coulion, founder and executive director of the Witness Stones Project. Um, and this project, through the research and education and civic engagement, uh, it restores the history and honor and humanity and contributions of enslaved individuals who helped build our communities. So they're gonna talk about uh, how to do the history and the research, which can be replicated in other communities. And we're having, um, lots of people are signing up for this. So it is a quite fascinating um, topic. And so um, Diane, it's, it's a how-to? Yeah, it's a how-to and the project's called Witness Stone Project. Um, Witness Stones Project. So we're all going to get educated on what's been going on and it's been fast moving and growing uh, throughout the state of Connecticut. Uh, it hasn't come down to Fairfield County yet, so we're all uh, quite excited about hearing what's going on uh, with the Witness Stones Project. And the other speaker is Dr. Catherine Hermes, uh, and her project was um, uncovering the history of Africans uh, African-Americans and Native Americans at Hartford's ancient burying ground. Uh, it is probably the oldest one in the state from the 17th century. Um, and basically they assembled a team to actually go into the cemetery and find uh, the African and Native American uh, names and do research. And what they did with that information and, and on, they found lots of stories and put it in, in a database that is easily downloadable, searchable, um, and something that uh, is of interest to all of us. So she's going to be talking about the stories and what they found and how to use this database. So she's going to actually do a demonstration at the same time. So there'll be plenty of time for Q&A um, for this uh, particular lecture. What is the database called again, Diane? It is, um, it's, it's on, and they have it on Ancestry, so it is trademarked. Uh, so she's going to talk about this database they specifically created to us uh, to house all this information. Um, and anybody can um, actually go there and do research. Uh, so we have a lot of educators <laughs> who have signed up for this. Um, so uh, we're, we're quite excited um, about having these two guest speakers. And uh, you're actually um, 
educating people about the tools that they can use to, yes. to do their own research. That's great. Absolutely. So, uh, Ramin, what about what's happening at the Westport Museum for History and Culture? So, um, actually, a lot of things are happening. I think, you know, what I want to I say first is that for us, Black history is not only, as my colleague Diane said, you know, recognizing the contributions and struggles of the Black community in the past and in the present um, and how that's impacted society in the current, but for us, Black history is much more foundational. What we say at the museum is that there is no American history without Black history. Black history is intertwined with, it is integral, it's a side-by-side -side lockstep with American history. And this is how we approach the topic, not just during this incredibly important month, but every day of the year. This is a, um, our charge that we have given ourselves. And as well as indigenous history when we can, but black history we feel is very foundational to this particular area. So physical area in Connecticut in particular. So some of the things we're doing in the immediate for February is um, we're trying to create a number of access points to people so that the widest number of people can interact with this amazingly rich history. So we have uh, an Instagram feed at Westport History Museum every day uh, that is called Exploring Black History in Westport. And uh, there's uh, interesting slides and photos and information about black history in the town from the 17th century all the way through the 21st century. Um, in a very real sense, people who want to kind of engage with the history, even though the museum isn't open, on our grounds, we have a brick walk, which is not dissimilar to the witness stones um, that, has it, that has the name of over 240 African-Americans who were enslaved in Westport in the 18th and early 19th century, as well as free people of color in that period of time. Um, that brick walk is something we expand as we do more research and find more names, it continually expands and anyone can go on the property and have a look at that. Um, our online exhibit, uh, we have an online version of our award-winning exhibit, Remembered the History of African-Americans in Westport that people can see on our website, virtualwestporthistory.org. Um, but again, I wanna point out because we're doing this work all year, we have programs scheduled through the entire year, through 2022, through every year following. Um, and some of those things include, you know, behind the scenes working with colleague organizations, you know, like Norwalk, like the Freeman Center. In fact, today I'm speaking to you from Weston Historical Society where I'm doing some research um, into the enslaved people of the Coley family, very prominent family in Westport and Weston. Um, so that's a long-term plan, but um, you'll have to check our website, but we have upcoming a program uh, with, with two actors recreating Thomas Dew, a pro-slavery minister in the 1840s, and Sojourner Truth, mm -hmm. doing a talk, a question and answer to one another about their respective positions on abolition and women's rights. Um, we have walking tours when the weather is good of Westport's black history that run um, throughout the spring and summer and fall. Um, we have a great program I would love for people to sign up for on February 19th um, with Dr. Kelly Fanto Dietz of Stratford Hall Museum in Virginia. And she's going to talk about uh, enslaved cooks and their contributions to American cuisine. Fantastic, thank you so much. I mean, let's turn now to Fairfield University 
with its Crick Center for the Arts and its art museum. Uh, we hopefully can talk a little bit later about the university as a whole, but for your particular institutions, um, what does Black History Month mean and what are you programming uh, this month? Laurie, let's start with you. Yeah, so the Quick Center is, to be honest, really engaged with the Fairfield University's programming. And I think that uh, more so than ever, and now that the Quick Center has moved into the College of Arts and Sciences as part of the university, we are really committed to folding the programming we do into what the university is doing. And I think with our online programming, we've been able to do that more than ever. So a couple of events that we have coming up um, that I think are really important to note really feature our Fairfield University faculty and students. One in particular is um, on Tuesday, February 9th, so tomorrow at 1 p.m. We have the program, Are the Racist Ideas of Today the Same as the Racist Ideas of the Past? And what's really interesting about this is this is an event hosted by students as part of our Honors Social Justice Book Club and the Honors Student Leadership Board. They wanted to host this event, and so we're working with them to do that with Fairfield University faculty as panelists. And then later this month, um, Fairfield University celebrates, uh, we, we moved back the celebration uh, in order to have students on campus again, but we do have a week-long celebration of ML, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And so we will have our MLK convocation on February 22nd with Christina Beltran, incredible um, speaker. And so, what I think is really great is with our online series right now, especially all of this programming is free. Anyone can access it at the quicklive.com. Um, you can certainly go to our, our regular website, quickcenter.com to see the full calendar of events, but watching and viewing is very simple and generally you hop on, it's live, you're ready to go. And what's also great is all of these events have a chat function. So you can be a part of the conversation because we really want it to be students, faculty, staff, and the community coming together and really diving into these meaningful conversations. That's so true. I mean, that's really a, a layer that um, I, I wasn't emphasizing, but uh, COVID has in fact produced uh, the ability to enable greater access to greater numbers of people to, to our programs. So thank you for mentioning that, Laurie. Yeah, turn to Harry at the Art Museum. Yeah, um, so um, of course as a museum, we think that there's no better way to tap into the excellence of black history than through art. Um, and um, we, we have to remember that black uh, history is our collective history. And while last year's events were a stark reminder of the work that still needs to be done, we need to move forward together, um, united in our goal of achieving racial justice. So in, in terms of the museum, we, um, I think museums in general use Black History Month as an opportunity to highlight the work of, of Black artists on social media, for example. And as our staff started talking about what we might do, we um, had to face a reality that I, 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 I knew, but my staff didn't all know that um, we really don't have any art by black artists, um, by African-American artists in our collection. Um, uh, we have a small collection. We're a young museum. We're just 10 years old. All of our donations, um, um, our collections built entirely on donations. We don't have an acquisitions budget, um, but this is a problem. Um, I, I, I've been director for um, just two years um, and I've known that this was a problem, but um, 
we've committed to working on that and um, we're taking some donations that we've received this year um, that weren't earmarked for collections and we're starting a, uh, a fund um, which we're going to invite the general public and, and anyone who's hearing this, uh, this conversation to contribute to, um, to start to work on that, to start um, the, these, these monies will be allocated specifically to buy the, um, purchase the work of um, African-American artists for the collection. Now we've included work, sorry. Carrie, is this being announced? Um, yes, you all are hearing it first. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm very pleased to be able to share it with everyone um, right now. And um, we've, we've, definitely included the work of African-American artists and African artists in, in our um, exhibitions over the past years um, and, and at the university prior to the museum being built. But um, I, I wanna highlight that we have two um, uh, really major exhibitions coming up, not this month, but um, we have an uh, exhibition of Carrie Mae Weems work opening in the fall oh. and then a work, um, uh, exhibition of the work of Adger Cowens um, coming up the, the semester after that in the spring. Adja Cowens being a black photographer who is now in an exhibit at the Whitney Museum, correct? Correct, correct. And, um, who lives in Bridgeport. Yes, so, um, yes. That's great, great good news. Yeah, we're really, really excited about that. Um, let's now, now turn to Bridgeport and the Bridgeport Downtown Special Services District. I know Marcy has to leave uh, very shortly, so I hope to get a word in from her. Um, but Lauren, you are the CEO and president. Uh, those who don't know you might not consider DSSD as a cultural organization. So can you tell us just very quickly what the DSSD is? Yes, thanks. Um, so we are not your traditional cultural organization, that's for sure. Um, we are actually a business improvement organization. Um, and we are a quasi-governmental entity that uh, works with all of the downtown property owners and businesses within our district. And um, the way that we have approached and engaged with the creative and cultural sector is that we are very fortunate to have a um, large presence of those kinds of businesses and entities in our downtown. Um, so for us, it's what we would consider our competitive advantage. And uh -huh. we're, uh, we're blessed with um, a large number of Black-owned and Black-led businesses and organizations representing over a quarter of our, our downtown entities. Um, so for us, it was really important to celebrate what's here and what strengthens um, the, the, um, the neighborhood and makes us great. Uh, and I'll just hand it over to Marcella Kovac, who is our marketing partner from the Banana Land, who was instrumental in creating the Colorful Bridgeport campaign, which is how we promote um, all the downtown's assets. So yes, Marcy, tell us a little bit about Black, how you're celebrating Black History Month and quickly, we'll come back to it later, how it connects to this wonderful, colorful Bridgeport campaign. Yeah, so um, we, we actually have been, um, for a few years now, been putting out these fantastic guides um, via newsletter to celebrate and honor Black History Month. And um, Again, this month, um, again, due to COVID being a, a little bit of a challenge, um, we decided to um, highlight some very safe events and activities while also paying tribute to five uh, Bridgeport historical figures. Um, 
that have impacted the downtown, namely uh, Lorraine Farrar James, Mar uh, Marian Eliza Freeman, uh, Louis Latimer, and uh, Margaret Morton. And uh, yeah, and so we're doing so. We already released our newsletter. So um, if you aren't on our list, you can access it via the website colorfulbridgeport.com and then under the tab um, downtown guides. And um, also in the guide are several activity and um, event recommendations, again, that are all um, safe, including um, one that is a, a coming soon event, which is a mural that we have been uh, excited to unveil. It's actually still in the works, dedicated to Mary and Eliza Freeman, and it will be, um, <laughs> Yay. Right, uh, right, actually strategically located um, next to the Mary and Eliza uh, Freeman Center for Community and, and History. Could you tell us, uh, Marcy, while we have you, how did you come up with this uh, campaign or how, how did you, working with the DSSD, come up with this concept of Colorful Bridgeport? Yeah, so Colorful Bridgeport, um, really came from, again, celebrating our, as Lauren mentioned, um, celebrating our diversity and, um, and just meaning that in every, every way possible. So from our ethnic cuisines to our diverse community, to the, the diverse offerings that we have, and also the, you know, to pay homage to our, um, really wonderful um, arts community here. So it really stems from a lot of different themes. Um, and yeah, we've, we've just been really excited. It, it fits in so many different ways. And again, in so many different realms. And we hope that you stay in touch and, and see how it continues to unveil and reveal itself. That's great. Thank you very much. I mean, it really is wonderful the way that it has grown and become stronger um, over, over the um, few years that it's been going now. If I could just jump in to add one yes. quick thing, sorry to cut in. Um, it, it, one of the things that strengthens the campaign, I think so much is that it, the concept came from engagement with business owners, residents, and other community stakeholders in the downtown area. And we really um, intentionally focused on um, engaging local creators in the campaign. So every piece of work that you see in Colorful Bridgeport is locally made um, either by Mar Marcella herself or whether it's Gary Judkins or um, Brandon Smith or any, any of the local uh, talent that we have in place. Um, and we're really excited to continue that effort forward, investing in our, in our neighborhood in, in so many um, different ways and raising the profile and visibility of, of the talent that we do have here. So thank you. Thank you both. Um, now, um, our last institution is the Westport Country Playhouse. Um, at the Playhouse, Beth and Jenny, you kind of started your Black History Month early with your annual celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's interesting to hear from Laurie how they moved um, MLK Junior Day to into February, but you um, really sort of connected um, what you're doing in February with Martin Luther King Junior Day, which I think was great. Um, along with, um, and you've worked with with community partners, I believe um, the Westport Library um, and also Team Westport represented 
today by Bernstein. Um, so um, tell us a little bit more about what you're planning for the month of February and about this link to MLK Junior Day. Jenny, do you want to take this? Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. And I just have to say, it is, it is so exciting to hear all the amazing events and programming that are happening uh, in our community and are, are so accessible to all. Um, that, that's really inspiring. So I feel like I'm in such wonderful company today. So thank you for having us. Um, at the Playhouse, um, you know, we've been so excited to have this partnership for uh, to celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. King. Um, our journey actually in this, in this work um, really started uh, last summer. So for the theater uh, industry and organization, there was uh, a letter that went out to uh, entitled uh, Dear White American Theater um, and uh, really uh, calling a call to action for the theater industry as a whole to reflect, to take this moment of pause in the pandemic and to really reflect um, on the ways that, that theater has supported systemic racism and how can we dismantle it in our organization. And so organizations all over the country have really been taking a look at their organization and ways that we can implement um, these demands. There was actually a 31 page document that went out from BIPOC artists with, with their list of demands um, to dismantle racism in these organizations. And so at the Playhouse, we have um, been engaged in that work in every aspect of what we do and really trying to make systemic changes for the better in this journey. Um, and with that, we're really doing a lot of work in education. Um, and so I just started a year ago, right when the pandemic happened. So it's been a very <laughs> exciting time um, to be an educator. Uh, shout out to all my teachers out there. Just hang in there. You're doing a wonderful job uh, and we support you. And at the Playhouse, we're doing a lot of great work in education and all of our education is rooted in social justice. So themes of social justice, our four pillars of education are collaboration, literacy, empathy, and activism. So all the programming that you will see for the years to come will be centered in that value system and also giving students um, who typically wouldn't get this historical information um, plays by artists of color, you know, to actually watch productions written by artists of color um, and to really celebrate artists of color um, through everything that we're doing. So uh, we're really trying to infuse that into our education program. So it's been, a, it's been an exciting time to do that work. And in our partnership with the MLK celebration, um, that was really a great way for uh, kind of the artistry um, and this work to align uh, and being able to work with the library and Team Westport, who we have enjoyed this partnership with for many, many years um, and to be able to extend it. Someone was just talking about um, how this virtual programming has allowed us to really, you know, bring in people that we wouldn't normally get to see uh, locally. Um, we were, I can't even say how lucky we were to have Layla F. Saad um, speak, be our keynote speaker for this address, author of um, Me and White Supremacy, which I just happen to have right here, um, that I would, I would highly recommend um, to take a read and is actually also one of the the Westport Reads books, but I'll let Bernstein speak, speak more to that. But um, 
how the Playhouse contributed to that was we actually had a night of monologues. So we had four um, of our actors and friends to the Playhouse write original monologues in response uh, to me and white supremacy and the life and legacy of Dr. King and really a call to action. And so we actually had these four monologues um, performed by our actors on our Playhouse stage, which was really special to all of us because we, we can't be in our theater right now. And it was a really special thing to be able to, to give that to the community and give that to our actors who so many actors are out of work right now and not able to do the thing they do. And so it was just a wonderful opportunity for all these organizations to come together and support so the these artists. Four monologues based on Leila Saad's book. Could you give us, for those who don't know it, could you give us a thumbnail on Leila Saad and that book? Absolutely. Um, and, and, and please, you know, Bernstein, uh, feel free to, to chime in because you, you had the great pleasure of interviewing Layla F. Saad. So, um, but Me and White Supremacy um, is basically a 28-day challenge. It's, it's a journal workbook of sorts um, where you're going through, uh, Layla Saad has given us 28 different perspectives of uh, systemic racism and all the different perspectives. So she really breaks it down and each chapter is a day and then you journal based on how that shows up for you in your life, how you're witnessing, how you're contributing or complicit to it um, and really kind of working through each of those um, different perspectives and systemic racism in hope to, as she says, combat racism, change the world and become a good ancestor. So she's really, it's really, it's a great call to action. And it's absolutely extraordinary that the Westport Library um, and, and Westport Reads has made this one of their books. It's a really wonderful thing. And again, we can access the four monologues on the Westport Country Playhouse website. Yes, you can. If you go to our website, there's actually an MLK celebration webpage where you can watch the monologues all the way through the month of February for Black History Month. Yes, um, let's turn to Bernstein. Um, McLeod Bailey now. Uh, Bernstein, um, tell us a little bit about Team Westport. So Team Westport um, has partnered with uh, West, the Westport Library and Westport Country Playhouse for several years now in um, orchestrating the MLK Junior Day celebration. Yes. Um, go ahead. Okay, yes, it has. In fact, there are two other partners, Interfaith Council and the Interfaith Clergy that have been traditional partners for that particular effort. Um, I, we started forming the, this particular partnership about um, five years ago in 2016. Before that, the Interfaith Council and Clergy had run the program for about 10 years or so. So we joined with them. But um, just to talk a little bit about Team Westport, Team Westport is really an umbrella organization and we work with all of the partners and institutions in Westport. And our whole mission is to continue to keep programming on anti-racism in the forefront in Westport itself. So therefore we work with all of you know, the library, the playhouse, the museum, and again, the Interfaith Council, the Interfaith Clergy, the town administration, the schools, uh, the police. So we're always working on something in Westport. And just to break down the uh, what our name means, team 
really means together effectively achieving multiculturalism. And we've been a town committee basically since uh, 2005, even though we started meeting as a task force in 2003. So you can see that we've been around quite a while. Um, just wanted to highlight that this is such an important session that helps our communities that we're having today. It helps our communities reflect upon Black History Month and by highlighting the contributions of African-Americans to the greater good. And I thank you, David, again, and my sister participants on this panel who are helping to spread the message. Personally, I'd like to see a day when the history and people uh, of people of color that we recognize during these 28 or 29 days of February are seen as a part of history. And I think Ramin referred to that and are truly included in curricula from the earliest grades in school. Black history, again, is not just for black people. Everyone should know about our accomplishments and contributions. For example, we know about Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Bell. However, we don't automatically know about Louis Latimer who worked with both of them on important societal contributions. If history is not recorded, then we say it did not happen. We don't know about it, so it could not have happened. My son, who concentrated in history and economics at an unnamed Ivy institution and attended prestigious preparatory schools and the Westport School System, commented to me in June that he had had history courses all along and had never heard any major reference to black history other than how enslaved people were better off being enslaved after all they had homes and clothing and food. So we do need an all-inclusive narrative of American history in overview courses because normally you get the overview and then you dig deeper into um, special courses, you know, specialized courses. But if you don't get the overview, then um, we're lacking um, because we don't include that in our educational system. So this further contributes to the myth that people of color have not been a part of that history, and it continues to cause lack of respect for people of color and their worth in society. So we need to break that cycle. And the recognition of the truth about um, Black, Indigenous, people of color in history is important for everyone in the greater society, not just for Black people knowing that history builds respect for the contributions of BIPOC while building self-esteem for, for BIPOC is helpful to all of us. Now, um, we did start off this, again, the partnership is uh, for Martin Luther King Jr. Day is a special committee that meets, we start meeting and so this is what we decided to do this year, as um, Jenny mentioned, Layla Saad, who was wonderful to speak with. Um, I will add that the 28-day challenge is going now. So if anyone still wants to start it, we started it February 1st, we're running through February 28th. So if you still wanna get on board, it's not too late. So how um, do we do that, Bernestine? How, if people are interested, um, what's the access point? Okay, Jenny can probably best speak to that, but I know that um, there should be linkages on the library site now, that should be on the Playhouse site and Team Westport site are um, 
giving so people can sign up. A lot of it is self-driven. Yes. So if you buy the book or download the questions, um, which are available, you can um, step through it. There are also um, online versions or e-versions of the book, Leila Saad's book under Hoopla on the library, which we can access through the library site. So if you get the book and the questions, it's really a self-driven um, process. It's a personal individualized process to go through that. So we would uh, encourage that. So thank you for asking how to get to it. <laughs> okay, thank you. I have to take a break now. If you are joining us, this is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County with our February edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, our monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Today, our topic is moving beyond Black History Month. With me are Diane Gellaret, Norwalk Historical Society, and Ramin Ganeshram, Westport Museum for History and Culture. From Fairfield University, Laurie Jones, Quick Center for the Arts, and Carrie Weber, University Art Museum. From Bridgeport Downtown Special Services District, Lauren Coakley-Vincent and her marketing partner, Marcella Kovac, with Banana Land Marketing Agency. With Team Westport, Bernstein McLeod Bailey, and with the Westport Country Playhouse, General Manager Beth Husking and Director of Education and Community Engagement, Jenny Nelson. So you've all mentioned uh, the importance of a year-long commitment to Black history and culture, and I believe to cultural diversity more broadly. I did just for half a minute want to go back to Bernstein again to ask, um, you've talked a lot about the importance of integration, of um, integration of black history with uh, American history, world history. Um, but what, 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 getting back to our original question, what does Black History Month mean to you? Is it, what, what is its value? Is it, is it still valuable? Um, is, it a, is it an obstacle? to what you're trying to do, or is it a gate, a portal to what, to what you're trying to do? Yeah, I personally think it's a portal because, you know, we have, to, again, we're you know, trying to keep the topic on the radar. I mean, if we don't talk about, you know, obviously we're trying to get to, get to the point where it is natural and all children, all people know um, black history. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I see there's a portal and we have to do something. <laughs> and now it's been pigeonholed pretty, you know, we went, we went from a week to a month, but, <laughs> but, um, now I think, you know, we can branch out and incorporate and truly incorporate history, have black history as well as other history become history. Right. Yeah. So just generally, um, just reaching out to everyone, uh, you've all mentioned that, um, in fact, that you, you're not just working on black history and culture during February, you're focusing, you have a particular focus on it during this month, but you're also very committed to uh, celebrating a diverse, the d diversity of, our, of American history and culture uh, throughout the year. Uh, just any any further comments on that uh, commitment? I, I was I was very interested in 
here in Carrie's uh, kind of marking um, this point as a point of de declaration that you're now um, both raising money and spreading the word about trying to um, receive donations of African-American art to uh, further diversify your collection. Um, Lauren, you, you have something to say. Yes, I'd just like to add on to what Mrs. Bailey was just saying. Um, we're so privileged to partner with the Mary and Eliza Freeman Center on a couple of projects that, you know, all with the grand goal of making downtown Bridgeport feel and look like the welcoming multicultural space for entrepreneurs and residents that we know it is. And so that they're able to thrive in that space and, and really enjoy the quality of life that um, our unique environment can provide. And I think we, what we're hoping to achieve is that just that, that our neighborhood feels welcoming, comfortable, and normal. This, this is just how a normal, vibrant neighborhood looks and feels and all are welcome and, and feel safe here and can enjoy all of the different types of businesses and cultural institutions and spaces that we have. So, um, you know, everything that we are putting into Colorful Bridgeport and, and the intentional strategic partnerships that we engage in are toward that end. And I, I um, am so excited to be part of that work and to have excellent partners in that space and I'm very thankful for it, so. And I was curious, um, let's um, raise this question with the Quick Center and with the Playhouse. Um, have you been, have you noticed a particular acceleration in this kind of commitment to, I mean, I'm sure it goes back um, quite a way, but could you say that your activities have increased in terms of the, sort of the reaching out both in terms of diversity of programming and I guess a corollary of that, which is reaching out uh, to broader audiences to, in, to have a more, in, more inclusive audiences in your auditoria, uh, Beth. Yeah, I think for the Playhouse, it's been a few years coming uh, that we've started doing more diverse programming on stage. And part of that is just our very strong belief that everyone deserves to see themselves represented, it, represented on stage, on TV, in movies. Um, the number of, of people that have come up to me after shows about the Black experience or about uh, Latinx lives and just said, thank you for showing my family. Thank you for letting me see me. Um, uh -huh. It's incredibly important. It's also important because theater teaches empathy and understanding. So it's equally important for white audiences to see the lives of these other people portrayed on stage. So that's something, you know, we do five sort of big productions a year. They each run for about three weeks. And we try to make at least half of them about non-white people because those stories are important to tell. And in fact, um, could you talk a little bit about um, is it In the Heights? In um, the Heights was, oh, with the pandemic, I forget years now. It was 2019. Right. Um, and that was just an incredible experience. An entire Latinx cast, a Latinx director, choreographer. And it was just wonderful. In one of the workshops I've done with you, David, through the Carrie group, one of the uh, presenters mentioned how incredible it was to go and see herself on stage and her family and people that she knows. 
So that was an incredible production for us, wildly popular. We're bringing the director back to do uh, Next to Normal, which is uh, he's re re-examining it to look at it with, with a Latinx um, lens. So that's gonna be very interesting. That's great. And Laurie, at the Quick Center, have you um, been, you, you've always been conscious, I think, of, of the importance of yeah. diversity in programming and including audiences. Um, can you say how that um, engagement has deepened or broadened over the years? Yeah, I mean, I think something that's really important to the core of what we do is that Fairfield University is committed to social justice. And I think that especially when I came on board about seven years ago, for me, that was a really important um, core shift that I wanted to focus on as a presenter on a university campus. Um, I mean, yes, we want to provide, you know, uh, interesting work that is also entertaining and engaging for all audiences. And, and that's really important. But at the core of it, there is a social justice focus. And so for me, that was about making sure, and I think very much what Beth just said, it's, you know, reflecting voices that are a part of your community and then reflecting voices that may not seem a part of your community, but you still need to learn and celebrate and think about. And so for us, it's really been about working with artists, artist-focused work, um, celebrating the artists and making sure they have a space where they can be who they are and then connecting them with the audience in deep and meaningful ways. And, you know, we certainly have had artists that have brought work that is uh, pretty challenging to our audiences. Um, and it has been incredibly powerful and incredibly meaningful to be able to shed light on, on, on those moments and just to have our audience really um, have an awakening of sorts. And we're going to continue to do that. So I think for us, it's not so much a shift um, in response to what has happened in particular uh, this past summer, but more a continued deepening engagement. And I think for us, it's also doing that within our university campus, um, which I think people you know, can have their interpretation of what each university campus sort of reflects. I think it's important for us to be engaging with our students yes. to make sure that they're also experiencing that diversity. And then it's in our partnerships. Um, you know, the work we do with Bridgeport Public Schools and the partnership that we've created Arts for All and making sure that, you know, students K through 12 also have that access. So I think for us, it's just the deepening, the engagement versus nest. And, and for us, um, we don't book the season with an expectation that this is what we have to reflect. It's about us wanting to celebrate and wanting to be as you know representative possible of what it is to be an American and to have all these different voices at the table. Absolutely. So I think for us, it's yeah. always sort of that approach. Right. Ramin, you had a comment. Yeah, I, you know, I, I want to just go back to this question that you had about whether Black History Month is, um, you know, an opening or is it at this point in time a hindrance? And, you know, I agree with Bernstein that, it, you know, it is a gateway, it's an opening, it's a jumping off point. But, you know, I have to say, if I were in charge of the world, which I'm not, <laughs> sadly, um, I would start with a Black History Month, a year, frankly. I think that this is where we can talk about. Uh, culture institutions like ours can only go so far if we don't have the support of those um, larger governmental or international organizations that can put an imprimatur on a, 
an approach or a project or a field of study. So, you know, I'm thinking about how, you know, the UN will do the year of the child, the year of the woman and so on, you know, and, and there certainly have been things like this. But I think in the United States, we need to start with a Black History Year um, to start getting people to understand this is American history. There is not an aspect of American history from, you know, as Bernstein pointed out, invention and innovation um, to fashion, to food, and of course, to civil rights and all of these, these, uh, these uh, where black history tends to reside in the minds of people. Um, there's not a place where black history doesn't belong. And I think that we need that support from our legislatures from let, and our, in our Congress and our government to make it so, so that our work isn't kind of the danger of it being contained in Black History Month for many is a real danger. Right. You know, and I think we need that. Any comments from Diane or Bernstein on the suggestion? Maybe we can uh, begin a campaign right here. Absolutely. I agree with Ramin. Um, it is, it's, unfortunately, it is restricted, sort of restricted to uh, the month of February, but, you know, making a conscious effort to make sure that we are always integrating it into whatever we're, we are doing. Um, and also, yes, yes, we should do a campaign to uh, have a Black History uh, Year uh, and any other culture, because this is, this is all part of who we are. Uh, and we're all become much more global uh, these days. So, you know, just looking at it from that lens also that, uh, you know, as the pandemic has shown us, you know, we really are a, a global world and we're all in this together. Yeah, we, yes, we um, should make, well, to be a well-educated person, you should, you know, have all these different aspects and realize what's out there because the world is kind of closed off to to us, and so um, we need to be made aware and educated on what's going on. So I like the idea. Um, we'll see what we can do, Ramin. Yeah, let's kick something off. I do want to add something about Westport Reads. I can't um, um, gloss over that, and I know Ramin is part of, of this too with the museum, but the theme for Westport Reads by the to this year is toward a more perfect union confronting racism. And that will go through May. And there are four books that we've selected this year to be read by the town um, for all age groups. And then one's a fiction, one's a work of, uh, well, cast by Isabel Wilkerson, The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Uh-huh. And then we have something for the young adult group, uh, Class Act by Jerry Kraft, and we have also a book for a younger child, I Am Every Good Thing by Derek Barnes. I did want to point that out, and also we've kicked off in February our um, teen diversity essay contest, and the topic this year is Black Lives Matter, and um, the students are asked, these are Westport students in the high school, are asked to describe their understanding of that statement and talk about why conversations about race are so emotionally charged and what suggestions they may have for building equity and equality in our schools, community, and country. So I just wanted to stick that in quickly. Um, We only have uh, three or four minutes. Um, I I did want to talk about um, the kind of... the, the movement to translate 
the programming into any organizational changes, institutional changes. Um, as um, Beth mentioned, we at the Cultural Alliance are running um, a program, Collective Action Against Racism and Inequality, and I know a number of you are involved in that, in examining uh, and uh, working out personal projects to um, overcome that. Um, Carrie, I know you're pretty involved in the Fairfield University um, movements. Could you say a few words about um, your engagement with Fairfield University's attempts to um, face racism within the institution? Sure. Um, as, as Laurie said, you know, we're a Jesuit university and social justice is at the core of our values. Um, but having said that, um, there's a lot of work to be done. And there's a grassroots organization that I'm a part of called Racial Justice is Social Justice. And that group has recently broken itself into subcommittees, each working on a different aspect of um, the work that needs to be done. Um, my group is um, working on creating a, a proposal rationale for hiring a chief diversity officer, as we feel it's a very important position and it's one that the university does not have at this time. Um, I don't know if Lori wants to talk a little bit more, but I mean, there's a lot of people, I'll just say there's a lot of people on campus who are, are working very hard um, to, to, to try and um, make us a better, better right. university. And and Jenny, you had mentioned um, at the very beginning, really, how your your work has extended into um, into um, institutional uh, self examination, if if you like, with the with the letter um, from the um, Black Theatre. Remind me what that was called again. Uh, Dear White American Theatre, right. uh, and there's also they have an Instagram. We see you. Uh, white American theater. And then there are the BIPOC demands, which was a 31 page document with um, really breaking down in each aspect of theater, how we can dismantle systemic racism. And so our organization has been carefully um, analyzing and finding ways to implement that for our organization in the immediate and also in the future. Um, our hiring practices, uh, how we welcome patrons uh, and make everyone that enters our doors feel safe and welcome. Uh, and that goes all the way for our volunteers, our ushers, our staff, everyone that engages with the Playhouse um, being a part of that mission and this call to action. And so we've had, uh, we've also, our board has been incredibly involved in this journey and they are just a wonderful group of people that have really engaged in the work uh, everywhere from uh, trainings that we've been going through as an organization to creating action groups to actually make sizable change in our organization. So we, yeah. Very inspiring. Um, so I'm afraid we're out of time, but I think um, our listeners should be aware of a tremendous amount happening this next month and to take the lead from all of you to extend this focus on African-American culture and history and extend it throughout the year. And uh, Ramin, let's see if we can move forward your proposal for a Black History Year. I hope so. Thank you, thank you all. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. You have been listening to our February 2021 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. 
Today, our topic has been moving beyond Black History Month. My guests have been Diane Jellaret, Norwalk Historical Society, and Ramin Ganeshram, Westport Museum for History and Culture. From Fairfield University, Laurie Jones, Quick Center for the Arts, and Carrie Weber, the University Art Museum. From Bridgeport Downtown Special Services District, Lauren Coakley-Vincent and her marketing partner, Marcella Kovac with Banana Land Marketing Agency. With Team Westport, Bernstein McLeod Bailey. And with the Westport Country Playhouse, General Manager, Beth Husking and Director of Education and Community Engagement, Jenny Nelson. If you missed part of the broadcast, or just want to hear it again, you can hear the show on WPKN Podcasts on SoundCloud. I'm David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. Please tune in Monday, March the 8th for the next edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture.